Hello and welcome to the Animation Communication Podcast, your source for discussion about animation, film, fandom, and more. So please join your host, I Love Kim Possible a Lot, or KP, and Lauren Kizich, the Abbey Roadie, for today's discussion. If you like what you hear, please remember to support by giving a like, a follow, as well as subscribing to the main I Love Kim Possible a Lot channel on YouTube. Spread the word and keep being a part of a great community. This episode is appropriate for all ages. Hi, welcome everyone to this week of animation communication podcast time thing. Um, I'm KP as usual and Lauren's here. Hello. And uh, we, we have a guest today. Yay. Woo! So t- totally professional podcast. <laughs> so we'll just kind of jump right to it. Um, guest person, Chris, do you want to talk about yourself and who you are and what you do and why you breathe air? <laughs> well, first of all, thank you guys for having me on the show. My name is Chris Sonnenberg. I am the uh, executive producer, co-creator, and uh, showrunner for Tangled the Series on the Disney Channel. Um, and uh, I guess I will uh, just answer whatever questions you guys have for me. <laughs> um, I can kind of talk a little bit about what I do, or um, but I leave it in your guys' good hands. Okay, Lauren, why don't you go first, since you you were kind of the the master of all the questions. Yeah, sure. Um, Because, yeah, I want to really hone in on some of the more uh, industry-related questions in terms of, like, your position and and what comes with your role. So uh, Absolutely. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about uh, what you do as an executive producer, as a showrunner. Tell us a little about yourself. Sure. So I have been in the industry for since uh, 1994, 95, Pocahontas. Well, actually, I started, my first job was on a show called um, The Critic, which was a show that uh, aired alongside um, The Simpsons on Fox. And it was a John Lovitz show. And as kind of one of my first jobs getting into the industry, doing something called uh, Character Layout, which was a glorified uh, animation for television type job back in the in the nineties, we would take the storyboard panels and kind of flesh them out in terms of acting and performance, and send those overseas to be animated. It was a really fun job, and it really got my my uh, feet wet. And uh, from there, I worked on a movie called The Swan Princess. Mm. I don't know if anybody has heard of, oh, I of love that it. franchise, but. That was uh, one of my first movies I worked on, then went to Disney to work on um, Pocahontas and Hunchback and Hercules and Mulan and Tarzan and Emperor's New Groove and a lot of uh, the fun hand-drawn movies from the 90s. And um, kind of once Disney stopped doing hand-drawn animation in the early 2000s, uh, and I loved hand-drawn animation so much that it, it... started to turn into something that I had to learn how to do something new. And I started doing commercial, started uh, working on commercials, uh, these Barbie commercials back in the, in the kind of early two thousands where I actually had to take on the position of directing animation because I worked for a commercial house where they didn't really do a lot of animation. So when, when I started there, they, they were in charge of doing, like all the commercial work, in other words, like the print ads and the live action shoots and a lot of the graphic design that was around all of that. But part of that also was the animation, but they didn't have any any 
experience with that. So when they brought me on, they asked if I would um, direct the animation on it. And I said, sure, I would love to. And that's when I started to really learn and fall in love with the whole process of animation, uh, learning uh, about layout and uh, ink and paint and backgrounds and uh, cleanup and all the different parts of the process that up until then were just kind of like other departments at Disney. But now I had to really learn about them and run them and um, deliver on a project. And that's kind of how I started on my on my road to being an executive producer. Yeah, when we were looking up your IMDb, Lauren, just like, look at all the stuff, look at all the 90s stuff. And I'm just sure. like, Lauren, calm down. <laughs> it was a fun time to be in animation for sure. Like we had come, you know, I was at um, California Institute of the Arts, CalArts, mm-hmm. um, starting in 1990. And we were kind of coming off of the big success of... Um, the Little Mermaid and Aladdin and Beauty and the Beast and the Lion King. And there started to be this um, resurgence of hand-drawn animation and they needed, you know, Disney and, and really the bulk of the industry really needed a lot of people to, to take up what was going to be a growing demand of films at the time. So we just kind of, me and all my classmates really got in at a really special time to really support all of the films that were going to be made uh, throughout the 90s. And it was a really fun time to be at the studio. It was a lot of really fun camaraderie. We had a really great time. The films were special to me in that they were, again, we were at the studio having a great time working on these like classic movies. And uh, it just was a really special time. I got to meet some of my best friends there uh, to which I'm still friends to to this day. So those times, you know, I met my wife while I was working on Hercules. So a lot of those kind of fun things where they're not only great movies that you can go see and be proud of, but also these huge moments in your life that you look back on with a lot of love and a lot of care that went into them, but also like the times that we had and, and really these bonding moments through, 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 which we became like lifelong friends. So it was a really fun time to be there. I love the sense oh, of com- so sweet. I love the sense of camaraderie <laughs> and actually like it's not just a movie. It's it's you know, you're making friendships for life through it. Totally. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly matter of fact I just had lunch today with my um good friend of mine named Dave Pimentel, who, you know, we both started uh on Pocahontas around the same time and we're still friends to this day. So really, really great um experience and um fun time to be at the studio for sure. Was there any one particular movie or certain movies that, you know, that tickled your fancy and what you like, maybe it's like you have a penchant for comedy and stuff like that. Were there any, or were there particular movies that, you know, you know, it's funny. I, you know, I get, I get asked that a lot and I really do associate the films with my experiences on them. So, you know, working on Hercules, uh, I was working with Andreas Deja on the main character, Hercules. Uh, again, that's when I kind of met and married my wife during those those two or three years. So that movie in, in particular, in terms of the experience that I had on it, was, was uh, particularly memorable. And um, we had an office with three of us in it, and we just had such a great time. And I just remember those 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 
those people and that movie was such great memories. Mm. No, I, I understand that. That's that's I especially because Hercules is one of my personal favorites out of the Renaissance, yeah. and I did get. Uh, I didn't get to meet her, but I did get acknowledged by Susan Egan. So, <laughs> oh wow, <laughs> one of my yeah, favorites, so. amazing, yeah. I just again like spent uh, the weekend um, working on um, <clears throat> some story stuff for a new project I'm working on with a buddy of mine who I worked on that movie with, and we were uh, at a friend's house, and um, they have young, 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 young kids, and um, Hercules is their for, you know favorite movie. And he was working on Megara at the time and I was working on, on Hercules. And so, you know, um, the mom was saying like, hey, this is, you know, you know, you're, you're looking at Meg and Hercules and here's these two big dumpy old men, you know, like, it's just <laughs> kind of funny that, that, uh, and we both looked at each other like, wow, that was such a long time ago. And it was so, you know, we don't even really think about it in terms of like being, you know, I mean, you know, at this point, it's kind of like a classic, a new classic. And to have been there at that time is such an honor. I was gonna say, do you uh, do you see Ken Duncan much? I don't see Ken. Um, uh, you know, he he came in to do a little bit of a. Uh, we almost had him do some work on the show Tangle the series, um, so it was great to kind of to catch up with him. He he has a studio in Pasadena, mm-hmm. and you know he had a studio in Pasadena while. I was working at James Baxter's studio in um, when we were doing Enchanted. Mm. And so we would see, you know, the two studios were basically kind of across the street from each other in Pasadena. So we would see each other in passing at lunches or whatever. Um, Did you ever uh, meet up at King Taco? (laughs) uh, Not there. We were more uh, we were more on uh, like Old Town. We were on Colorado. Okay. Uh, and so there were a couple places that we would eat down there, kind of closer to Old Town. But um, such a fun, fun time. But yeah, Ken's a good friend. We used to go play cards at his house mm. uh, back in the '90s. It was a lot of fun. That's great. Yeah. I was going to say, Lauren, you you grew up in Pasadena, right? Yeah, actually, I'm born and raised. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we were on Mill Street. So I don't know if you know, there's a little alley called Mill Street down off of uh, Colorado yeah. right there. And um, we uh, did Enchanted there. Oh, wow. Uh, and the, the uh, animation, I don't know if you guys have ever seen Kung Fu Panda, mm-hmm. but like all that opening sequence of Kung Fu Panda that was all um, more that graphic hand-drawn style stuff, we did all of that there as well at James Baxter Studio. It was such, a, such an honor. We did such beautiful, beautiful work there. Well, James Baxter's the man. <laughs> He is the man. He is, That's... in fact, the man. <laughs> yeah, and it's beautiful yeah. work. That's oh, some of my favorite parts out of the Kung Fu Panda series have been the two D animated aspects, and it's not necessarily because I favor two D or anything, but it is. <laughs> but, it, but it was like that. The whole the stylistic change, being able to use that as not only as a dream conveyor, but also as a flashback conveyor. That it's just I, I always like when you have like a style change between yeah between scenes like that so yeah and and in particular working on that sequence something that James was very adamant about was doing something that was so we had just completed our work on Enchanted which was very traditional and very like we always wanted the the animation from Enchanted to kind of feel like one of the the lost classic Disney films and so we did everything very classic uh, classically drawn and classically animated. You know, we um, had classic 
you know, exposure sheets made. We did everything very traditional, uh, as traditional as we could get away with without doing actual cells. Um, but then going from Enchanted on to Kung Fu Panda, you know, James and I both talked a lot about doing something that was really different from what we had done on Enchanted. And so coming up with this really graphic, limited style, you know, we only did, as a studio, we only did the first movie. And I know Ken Duncan has done some of the other animation for the other uh, films, but that first movie and particularly the animation style of that sequence really was born out of um, James's head of, of how he wanted to, how we wanted to move the characters and really see the, the graphic style of um, the, you know, those, those sequences be played out. And it was really risky and um, it was new for the time. A lot of people were, were asking us how we pulled it off and, you know, there's there's one way where you just, you know, go straight ahead and you animate it, which I think a lot, you know, as as they started moving forward in the in the series, they did. But, you know, looking at our sequence in particular, we really approached that animation from a very um, experimental uh, uh, standpoint. If you look at that sequence in particular, um, that was kind of the first time people had really used puppet animation in that way. Um, we were mixing puppet animation with James's traditional style um, and then doing stuff inside of After Effects. Like we were using a bunch a bunch of After Effects tricks uh, together in a way that we hadn't ever seen before. So it was really it was really a, an opportunity to go from something very traditional and enchanted into something really experimental and Kung Fu Panda. So it was such a such a a great opportunity. We had a lot of fun doing that too. Absolutely. But I think you guys want to talk about Tangled a little bit. I, <laughs> I don't want to spend all my time on my history. We could be here for a long time. Um. What? Whatever. Really, Lauren. What do we? What do you want to move on to? Um. I mean, we could. We can cover a little bit. A little bit more on because I know a lot of listeners are either just getting into the industry or just yeah. even getting into animation in general and are like, hey, this is what I want to do with my life, but where do I start? Sure. <laughs> so uh, so it's kind of like we, we want to be able to hear from uh, in everybody and anybody in the industry from their experience and just like, uh, you know, hearing about the importance of like team communication and how it work, feels to work on a team and the importance of, of collaboration. Um, so like, what are some of the, the challenges of like being an executive producer on, especially when you think of like you were working on a hit show with Tangled, how do you, what are the challenges of being a producer with a pre-established IP? Sure. So I'll talk a little bit about kind of the way we develop the show, and then we can talk a little bit about my role when it comes to the crew. So, um, you know, when they first came to me to develop a show based on the movie, you know, I've talked about this in the past a, a few times, but it was really, they didn't, they didn't ask, they didn't ask me for anything in particular. They said, here's the title. Um, these are the characters. They didn't really give me any restrictions. You know, I, I said like, can we get Mandy and Zach? And they're like, 
like sure if you want to <laughs> if you can get them like you know like they they basically they they basically said don't limit yourself right out of the out of the bat like just come up with a good story and then we'll go from there so you know i i we had long conversations about should it be a preschool show should it be something is she still in you know in the tower like is it is it a prequel but then that was really limiting like we had a lot of conversations about like what it would actually be about and I kind of cleared that, you know, I was, I had a few conversations with early conversations with, with Claire Keene, who was Glenn Keene's daughter, who I don't know if you guys know, but, but she was the inspiration behind the character because she's so, she's so amazingly creative in her own life. She's a dancer, a singer, an artist, like she's every bit of, of an inspiration behind Rapunzel's anybody, but just kind of, she, and, and we've been friends for, for, for many years having a conversation with her about like what it what a show could look at look like and and she just encouraged me to 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 not sell it short to really do the best version of the show that I thought needed to be done so I you know with her encouragement I just started plowing forward on what I thought the best version of a continuation of the film would be and that started to just naturally I started asking the questions, well, if we're going to make a show, like what do we want to talk about? And I had, you know, at the time I had a 15 and a 13 year old girl at at home, my my two daughters, Ariana and Catalina. And I was just looking at their lives. Of course, they loved the movie so much. Mm. And, and I was like, well, if they love the movie so much, what are the things that they're going through right now? And my daughter you know, was going into, you know, going into high, thinking about going into high school and there were challenges with her friends and challenges with, you know, with us as, as her parents. And, and I just thought, well, if those are the things that my daughters are going through, it seemed like the best thing to kind of have a conversation with to the people who love the movie would, would be to have these same discussions. So it really started to become, what does Rapunzel need? Uh, out of this series. And when I saw, you know, obviously saw the short where they get married, I was like, well, I think that it would be great to have the discussion about what it looks like for a couple to work through just getting to know each other. And, and certainly this, this, this young capable woman learning what it's like to become a a leader and to be a daughter and to be a, a, fiance and all of these huge things that just don't come overnight and so it just became like how do we lay out a a narrative that would in the most entertaining way tell that story so uh it just started to become it started to kind of lay itself in well like well you know what are some things that my daughter deals with and it's you know she had a best friend at the time and i'm like well what would rapunzel's best friend look like so we started to kind of sketch in uh, idea wise what cassandra looked like and, um, you know, it was a very easy conversation of, well, if the mythology, if the one side of the mythology was this very soft, yellow, you know, S-curve hair, what is the other side of that? And that just started to become, like, I just started drawing out these really sharp rocks. And it just, one thing led to another, and it started to kind of lay in this, in, in this, um, in this narrative that it just made sense to me. And I, you know, also what you also have to kind of understand is that I had just kind of come off of Gravity Falls Mm. 
and seeing the terrain at the time in terms of like what the shows looked like on the channel in terms of their their time like how how many seasons they were getting everything was kind of getting like two or three seasons so i was like well i don't want to get canceled <laughs> so uh and i don't think that there's a ton of stories to be told like will they won't they get married so we can only tell so many stories about you know the idea of rapunzel and eugene being engaged so it just made sense to do a beginning, middle, and end story. So we just, with the first things I wrote on a piece of paper and put them up on a board were like year one, year two, year three. And that just became our big kind of sketching um, idea-wise. Like we started sketching in like what do the three movements of this series look like? And that's kind of how it started. Mm. So did you have it in your head from the get-go that it was going to be a story that was going to be, it was going to be told in three years? And, and Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, I knew very quickly that, you know, Petangled itself was so specific in that it was, you know, obviously it's a Disney feature film and it has this very large, you know, the mythology isn't huge, but it felt epic in the in the relationships. And so just, you know, being in a room thinking about what was appropriate for a series, the conversations just kept circling around like, let's keep it limited. Let's make it special. Let's make it emotional. Of course, music came into it very early. Like, what are we going to do music wise? Um, I was very adamant about getting Mandy and Zach back on board. And so once we had a solid story in place, you know, it's general, but it was, it was fairly locked in fairly early. Um, the, the, the studio was very supportive in saying like, well, let's see if Mandy and Zach would be involved. And so I personally went out to them and pitched them. And showed them the three seasons and how emotional and how much I loved the characters and how much I loved the story. Uh, and they just got behind me and became my cheerleaders for <laughs> this whole thing. Like they, Zach is very protective of the character and very protective of the mythologies that he gets involved with. And so he had a lot of questions about, you know, what the rocks represented and, you know, how we were going to treat Eugene and um and and once he saw that I had a very clear idea of what these things meant and how we were going to treat them he was like Chris I will we'll do we're in you know like he and, <laughs> he and Mandy both kind of got together and um they were completely uh supportive so once we had Zach and Mandy it, it became like you know the next logical next step was like well if they're gonna sing I'm not having them sing anything other than Alan Menken music. So <laughs> the studio put us on a plane and we flew out to New York and I met with Alan Menken in his studio and I had my little laptop with my PowerPoint on it and mm -hmm. walked him, you know, and wow. here's Alan Menken who, you know, didn't have to do this. And I'll be honest, he probably didn't really want to do it in the <laughs> beginning, you know, a series version of something that was so special um, but again, like once he understood the large vision of the show, he and Glenn Slater both 
Glenn really, Glenn Slater really, the lyricist really got behind us. And, and, and Glenn is an amazing lyricist in terms of his, his story skill. So when he saw the story, he's like, yeah, like, I think we have something to say about this. And, um, they got behind it, like within an hour they were in and we flew back to California having Zach and Mandy and Alan Menken all and Glenn Slater all on board. Wow! So that was, that was kind of the, that was kind of the fuse that lit the dynamite on this thing. And we just, after that, it became character designs and, and art direction. And, um, we were off to the races. Wow. Yeah, it's really like invigorating to know that you have people that are just as passionate about it as you are. So it's especially I couldn't envision anyone else other than Zach and Mandy being in their in the roles. So it's <laughs> it's so funny because, you know, very early on again, like, you know, we're all looking at this from this side looking back. But very early, the the, the discussions were like, what does a sound alike sound like? And we did get a few actresses in that maybe kind of sounded like Mandy. But as soon as I started hearing those, I was like, there's no way. Like Mm -hmm. the charm of who this character is, like Mandy is Rapunzel, not just in her vocal performance, but just in her attitude and her positivity and her brightness Mm -hmm. and her like her struggle. You know, it's not just she's not just one note you know, and, and that's kind of what we had to, what we had to understand from the writing position, but her performance, you know, she was, she really got behind the performance of this character. Every time she came in, she understood the pain. She understood the struggle. She understood the the highs and the lows in a way that if we had gotten anybody else, I just feel like it would have fallen flat. Same thing, same thing with, with, with Zach. Like, he could, I mean, you know, we all know, like, Eugene is Zachary Levi. Yes. I mean, come on, <laughs> right? Like, it's just him. He's not doing a character. I mean, of course, he had, there's some nuances, obviously, that make um, Eugene who he is. But when Zach starts reading these lines, I mean, it's him. Like, he he's bringing so much of this character to the front. And if we were to get anybody else that was trying to be Zach Levi, I, it just did not, it didn't appeal to me once I once I started really considering it, it just mm-hmm. kind of became like, well, what are we going to do if we don't get them? Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that, I don't know that I would have, would have wanted to be involved, honestly. Yeah. It's kind of like it if Ryan Reynolds like wasn't Deadpool and you had somebody else try to be Ryan Reynolds being Deadpool, you'd totally know. It's it almost be. like they wrote, <laughs> they wrote the character of Deadpool. Like, like, they knew Ryan someday would play him as a as a as a person mm-hmm. like he's just that guy. And in, and so much of the appeal of the entire franchise comes down to the appeal of these amazing performers. And then, you know, obviously. So, again, being on this side of it, then it then the huge challenge once we once we landed them, then it the giant challenge became, OK, so who are we going to get to be Cassandra? Because you know, here are two major performers that people already associate with the franchise, like Rapunzel and Eugene Mm -hmm. and then Zach and Mandy. And now how, who are we going to pull in that could possibly hold their own against these two powerhouses? And that was a big challenge to find someone that, that had 
the same amount of um, presence and appeal and charm, but still have that like power behind them. And Cassandra specifically had to have a certain amount of like, again, like pain behind her. I knew really early, you guys, I'm so sorry, but I knew exactly (laughs) what was going to happen with Cassandra. So I knew when we were casting that Cassandra was going to sing a very large song Mm -hmm. in the middle of season two. Like I knew that that song was going to come. I told Alan Menken in the pitch, like there's going to be this huge song for this character in season two you know, waiting in the wings was going to be this. I didn't know what the name of the song was. I didn't know anything about the plot. I just knew that we were going to keep her under wraps until, until, until that moment. And so when Eden came in the room and started speaking, like it became very clear who our Cassandra was, Mm -hmm. but, but I'm, but that was such a large challenge to be able to find somebody that could not only stand next to Zach and Mandy, but really, and then looking at how how much of a breakout character she became, like some people that she's their favorite character, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and 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 that no, speaks no better person than Alphaba herself. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And I didn't really even know that she was Alphaba. I had seen uh, um, uh, casting had given me a couple videos of Eden, and one of them was a from. Um, The Today Show, she had done a video, she had done like a live performance on the Today Show for a musical she was doing in New York. uh, She had done, this was years ago, called um, Brooklyn. And um, she had done this song um, live there that when I saw that song, I was like, that is Cassandra. Um, So at that point, you know, there was a little bit of discussion of like some other actresses that were from Disney. I think they had given me a couple names of some regulars from their live action shows, but they sounded too young Mm -hmm. because I wanted Cassandra to be a little bit older. You know, I wanted her to be older than Rapunzel for specifically the moment when she understood her relationship to, to Gothel. Mm -hmm. Um, but I also wanted her to sound different enough from Mandy. So, so a lot of the voices that we were getting kind of sounded very similar to Mandy in that they were a little bit, you know, higher register. And so when you heard the two of them together, you almost couldn't pick out who was who. And so I was like, no, we can't, we can't do is as wonderful as a performer as this person is Cassandra, Eden, I call her Cassandra, Eden just, she just had her own space um audibly and that just helped the casting so much mm-hmm. yeah it's it's a phenomenal cast i mean it, just everyone is so distinct and like you said they stand all on their own which is that's so crucial in order to help define each character as their own personality rather than just an ensemble so i think yeah that's... yeah and and you know and i i, I put a lot of I put a, a lot of my own personal weight on the idea that, you know, the Broadway sensibility, mm-hmm. you know, so when, when, when casting was asking like, who do you want to pull from? I was like, there's going to be a lot of big music in this thing. I don't know exactly, how, you know, what songs people are going to sing, but it's going to be better if you pull from, from, from Broadway, these bigger voices. And I think in the end of the day, 
because I'm a big Broadway nerd kid, you know, like I, <laughs> my mom, my mom certainly raised me on a healthy diet of, of, of Broadway musicals. And, um, and I, and I certainly believe that Disney animation is the new version of the Hollywood musical, you know, certainly mm-hmm. Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast and, and um, Aladdin, like those just feel like modern day Broadway musicals. And so, and so when it came to, 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 to pulling in the, the cast for this thing, I just said like, you know, it's going to be better if we can pull in these larger voices from Broadway. And, and ultimately that was the, that was the key to, to, I think the ensemble, um, the, the key to, to that, to that success. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was going to say, uh, do you have any, do you have any other, uh, questions, KP? <laughs> No, I'm just I'm just entertained listening to this animation lore. <laughs> well, so, I, I, you know. Know, listen, you guys would probably uh, learn. I don't know from other interviews, but I can be long winded, and I'm so sorry. No, no, it, can, it actually no, it's, it's fantastic because as I'm going through some of these questions, I'm like, uh, you actually already answered some of these questions. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, my my influences definitely come from. People like um, Howard Ashman, who wrote the lyrics for, you know, for me as a like, I'm 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 a I think I'm a freshman in high school. I go see this movie called Little Shop of Horrors Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and Little Shop of Horrors, like before even like Little Mermaid came out, was speaking to me from a standpoint of a super large musical that is dynamic, full of like really fun characters. It's really weird looking. It's super fun. And then to find out that Howard Ashman and Alan Menken wrote the music for it, I was like, this is so, I mean, I don't know if you guys knew that, but that's this yeah. is the same, the same people that, that, that made um, The Little Mermaid and, mm-hmm. and subsequently all of these Disney classics. But that started to kind of light a fire in me and like, oh, this is, this is something that I, I may want to be a part of. And then a couple of years later, when Little Mermaid came out, that really solidified like, oh, no, this is what I want to do. Um, <laughs> so you got but, to be part of just, that world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Oh, wow. Wow. Too soon. Hashtag too soon. Um, but uh, yeah, I certainly saw. Yeah, just like you said, part I wanted to be part of that world in 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 the sense that I had I had never even seen a piece of animation paper when I started going when I applied to Cal Arts like I just knew that this really dynamic way of telling a story was something that I saw myself being a part of and then you know again like going from the animation part of the process to the showrunner part of it um I got to really learn the entire process and and have fallen in love with with all of that and that that kind of talks a little bit about i don't know if you guys want to talk a little bit about what i do as a showrunner mm-hmm. but um but what i but 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 what i do as a showrunner is i do get to take part in the entire process which is so fun for me i mean being able to take part in the writing take part in the in the design process um, you know, go over the boards all the way through background design and paint all the way through. So I'm involved basically in every single part of the process. So everything that happens on the show goes through me, whether it's the the voice recording, um, I make notes on the animation, 
Um, I'm looking at backgrounds. I'm making notes on color script. Uh, we go to the final, you know, sound mix where we design the sound effects and the uh, even the score. Uh, Kevin Cleish, who writes our amazing score on the on the show, I'm involved in sitting down in his studio and going through every scene and saying like, you know, Kevin and I will sit and I'll say like, this needs to be a little bit either either funnier or darker or a little bit more emotion or, you know, even like, let's pull music out of the sequence altogether. Let's just let the performance um, speak in this sequence. So I'm there for the entire process from, from top to bottom. And it really becomes this, this exercise in keeping, you know, ultimately 70 episodes of storylines straight in my head through every different part of the production. So there were times in our, in our second season when we had, you know, dozens of episodes all going at the same time. Premise for season three, animation for season two, boarding for season two, you know, animation notes for season one that were coming in, you know, all these different parts of the of the process that were happening at the same time from any given meeting that I was going to from from one moment to the to the next, uh, me and my co-executive producer, um, Ben Balistrieri, we would constantly having to we would constantly be having to uh, switch gears from writing to design to sound and you just have to kind of keep the clarity and there was a lot of pressure uh for both of us i mean i was so lucky to have somebody like ben who shared a huge amount of brain space with me like we would always uh i feel like we could we could finish each other's sentences uh, on so many subjects he knew what i wanted in terms of the mythology i knew what he lean towards when it came to sound effects or, or color. And we typically went to every meeting together, but if we had to split up, I had every confidence that he had my back and he had the same thing. You know, he knew that if I went into something that, that he was going to agree with the decisions that I made. So it was really important that we have, first of all, I think it's really important to have somebody like that with you in a production, having somebody that you trust with your creative vision. Um, it's just invaluable. If I, you know, if I could ever give anybody advice going into creating a show, if you do it on your own, it's just, it's just so it's such a pressure filled um, uh, uh, scenario that without having somebody just to be able to talk to, <laughs> you know, just to have some, a buddy of yours that you can, that understands the the pressures of production is so invaluable. Mm-hmm. So that was really important to me in terms of having, you know, a partner in this thing. Uh, and then knowing that if I couldn't be at a certain meeting or, or a series of meetings that I knew that, that he had my back. It was, it was, it was, it was so freeing to know that I, I didn't have to stress over that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, it's, with how much that goes into the process, yeah, no, anybody would lose their head if they <laughs> if they had to take it on themselves. 
I mean, you mean argument could be made that we did lose our heads sometimes, <laughs> you know, like there was a lot of pressure. I mean, we didn't make the every right decision along the way, but we we tried to keep each other in check. Mm-hmm. We tried to make sure, you know, we'd always look at each other like, is that the right thing? Like, what do you think about that? And we would talk things out. And because we were so mind melded, there wouldn't have to be super long conversations. And we would just give each other the nod and like the like the thumbs up, like, dude, rad, like. You know, when we would see a, um, a a beat come together that we knew wasn't like there would be certain gags, like a, a funny gag or even a dramatic thing that would happen that all throughout script or storyboard or editorial, it just would never land. And, and, and we just be like, oh, man, like, I wish that could be funnier or I wish that could be I wish that was a little bit more dramatic and then go all the way through editorial and animation and have it come back and be like oh i wish that could be something just a little bit better and then go all the way to like sound design and our sound designer would like hit something with like a little sound effect or with a little beat and we look over each other you know in the in the in the mixing stage and like like give each other the like the mr miyagi smile of like yeah, <laughs> like we nailed it like it finally came together but it's but it's something that we both shared as a struggle for so much of the process you know what i'm saying yeah like it's mm-hmm. not just me being like oh we like i nailed it like we had each other to be able to say like is that what you wanted and he's like yeah and i'm like oh cool like and we'd high five each other and be like dude that came out great or like, oh, we'll get them next time. That was the great thing about it is that you, having somebody like that, it, you shared a, like we would check each other to make sure that our that our our um, intentions were always constant. And then um, to be able to like give the thumbs up of like, oh, cool, that was great. Or like, oh, shoot, that could have been better. But, you know, we had each other along the whole way. So it was really, really great. Yeah. Yeah, I just imagine because it was a serial and you had to keep, like, the order of episodes in mind and just make sure, like, you know, everything meshed that way. I can, like, I can imagine that getting confusing really fast. Oh, extremely fast. And what Ben was so good at is he he knew, like, <laughs> I don't know how he does it. He's he's just got one of these brains that's good at numbers. But he could, he could recite uh, an episode number. Whereas I had to think of like the name of the episode, like I was an I was an episode title guy, mm. or like mm-hmm. not even a title. I'd be like, it's that one with the with the with the monkey would do that thing with the with the coins, and he's like, oh, that's uh, that's two fourteen, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's right, two fourteen. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> like I was more concerned about the story aspect of it, but he always had a really organized brain in terms of like being able to tell a production person where a design was, like, oh, that's an episode two fourteen scene. 93 like he was super good at that kind of stuff so again like it's that balance of like someone that's passionate about one part of it and the other person takes the other part of it we were very we were very balanced that way yeah yeah i don't know how showrunners just do it by themselves now <laughs> i can't but... even imagine i can't even imagine i mean if it's serialized like ours like if there's a big mythology mm-hmm. i just i just don't understand how somebody would do that it just just seems too much it seems like way too much information, especially for our, our show that had so many characters and so many um, plot lines going. It just, I couldn't imagine doing it on my own. Yeah. Yeah. My brain hurts thinking about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and mine mine hurt pretty regularly. 
Yeah, the only thing I can think of is, like, even if you had the finite, like, everything down to the T as far as episodes, when everyone's when everything's starting to get made at different times as far as the production process, yeah, then it's yeah. just like, boop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and again, like, because we had each other, it, it, it just became this kind of, like, sharing brains thing where, like, we would look at each other. If someone brought up a question in a room, in a vacuum, like, they're asking something that is very, like, localized to that moment, we're both looking at each other like, okay, if we make this decision, what does this undo 12 episodes from now? Or what does this con, you know, contradict three episodes before this? You know what I'm saying? Like, Mm -hmm. you have to kind of answer and keep all these things so that any decision that you're making doesn't have any like undue repercussions that another director is dealing in it with an episode or another you know what I mean? The whole nother show, because we have three different directors, four different board artists. I mean, four, four different board teams Mm. with two board artists. There's just a ton of art being generated that if any one decision gets made, you have to make sure that that tracks over, you know, X amount of, of episodes. And I think we caught, you know, there's, we have a, there's an amazing part of the process that I've never talked about in any interview that I think I'm going to shed some light on for, for you guys here. It's called checking. Do you guys know what checking is? No, please, please oh learn us. Oh my goodness. This is such a crazy <laughs> job. Um, we had an amazing checker. Her name was Charlene. And what a checker does, is imagine this is somebody's job. And this is a crazy job for, for, for this show. So Charlene's job was to go through every storyboard before we shipped it to Canada to be animated. Mm -hmm. And she would go through every storyboard and make sure that every single thing was 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 constant from from episode to episode, shot to shot. So in other words, if someone came into a room in a storyboard and put a cup down on the table, she had to make sure that that cup not only was designed and colored properly, but that that cup was in every shot after that in the same position. So she's kind of like continuity, but she's also making sure like if the storyboard are like, so there's certain things like in a storyboard, someone could be worried, you know, like you would do a Mm -hmm. worry face, Mm -hmm. but then like some storyboard person would do like the sweat marks coming off of the side of your head just to kind of indicate the shorthand for being worried. Like, it's just a funny Mm -hmm. thing that you do. As, a, as an artist, you mm-hmm. just draw it because you want to convey, oh, they're worried. But you don't want to animate those like sweat drops shooting <laughs> out of the side of a character. So she would go through every board and be like, do you want sweat marks coming off the side of it? And we'd have to say, no, Charlene. Or sometimes we would say, yeah, there is sweat coming down this this thing. And, and then she asked, okay, well, was it was it designed? What color is it? Is it see-through? <laughs> like, I mean... And so what we would do, so I'll set the scene for you. We have this big bullpen, this big meeting room, right? And the room would have a projector. So we would have the, the storyboards up on, um, uh, projected onto a big screen mm-hmm. and the big table. And around the table is the director, um, the production coordinator who like helps coordinate all of the artwork before we ship it. They're just the glue of the entire production. Um, Charlene the Checker, me, uh, and my co-EP Ben, and then the art director. 
uh, Alan Bodner, who was the greatest human ever to walk the earth. <laughs> so we're all sitting around this table going through literally every single storyboard panel. And so what she's done is she's gone away and she's taken like five or five days or however many days that she has per episode. And she has a printed out version of the storyboard and she puts these little post-it notes on every panel that she has a question about. Mm. Okay. So we're going through and I'm, and I have the keyboard with the little arrow and I'm going through the projection, going through every storyboard and she's going through her printed board and her printed board is just littered with these post-it notes. Like, like she would go through stacks of post-it notes through every episode, just hundreds of them. Wow. So you go through every panel and she's like, is this what you want for the background? Do you guys have coverage for what this character looks like from the back? Like every tiny, tiny, tiny detail she would cover and we would all have to sit there and ask Alan Bodner if the background was designed for this shot or if the coordinator had the glass, what color is the sweat? Like we have to go through every single tiny detail for every shot of the entire show. Now, that's a long way of saying it is the worst meeting that you could ever have to sit through for. And they were hours, like literally three or four hours, right. just literally going through every single shot. But the fun thing is, is that Charlene made it super fun. We would have games. She would have prizes. We would throw like it was the most it could have been the worst meeting that you looked forward to um, every episode. But Charlene, our our checker, made it the most fun. We had this thing called Last Note. Oh, I've never talked about this. This is so crazy. I hope you, I hope your audience cares about this stuff. This is so dumb. But we had this game called Last Note. And so to keep everybody on their toes of uh, uh, as to like what to look for, because the director was there, and the director's kind of job is to make sure, like if a, if a director did his job perfectly, there would be zero notes. Like he would go through or she would go through and make sure that everything is accounted for. Now, like it's an impossible task. But what what Charlene would do is at the end of the episode, like the very last note in the entire episode would be a mystery. She wouldn't say what it was, but we would all have to guess what the note was. And... So we all, it's because like I would play theme music, like we would all like it up and do a dance. <laughs> like it was so fun. And so she would have a big box of wrapped gifts. And if you got the right, if you guessed the right note, you would get a prize. Okay. So that's motivating people to be like, okay, so a lot of times <laughs> you guys, this is so dumb. I'm telling you guys. The most boring thing, and I'm, you can edit this out if you want to. But no, no this is actually good. fun. Like, it's just good to like, know that it's like you're having fun at the same time. Of oh, it was it was the most fun. And and what I'll do, okay. So what I'll do is I'll send you guys a picture. So what she did is she kept all the post its from the last I think two seasons. Oh my god! In uh -huh. a giant, crazy box of just of all post it notes with the with the notes. I'm, I'll send you the picture of the giant pile of post-it notes. Oh. But anyways, so we'd get to the last note, like eight times out of 10, the note was, where's Pascal? <laughs> <laughs> because oftentimes when we're going through a thing, Pascal would be on Rapunzel's shoulder mm -hmm. for four of the panels and then he'd be gone. Like the board person just wouldn't 
just wouldn't draw him or, you know, like, and, and a lot of times the panel was just a circle, like a, a green dot. They would just draw a dot on <laughs> Rapunzel's shoulder. But if that dot wasn't there, Charlene is like, where's Rapunzel? Like, where's Pascal? Is he on the shoulder? Did he go inside her hair? Did he run down? And then if we would be like, oh, he jumped down, we'd have to find the panel that he jumped down in. Mm -hmm. Because the whole idea is that you don't want to send any of the... I hope you guys care about this stuff. Oh, I do. (laughs) This is so, like, technical. But the whole thing is that you don't want to send storyboards to your animation studio unless every single question is answered. Mm -hmm. Because as an animator... So we have an amazing team in Canada named Mercury. and, And they get their animation... They get their storyboards and they have to animate and they get a package of all the background stuff, all the characters, all of the things that they need to be able to animate their scene. And if their storyboard doesn't have all the information, then that just stops their flow and it just gums up the entire process. So the the most important thing is to be able to ship a show with all of the information. And so that's what Charlene is doing. She's making sure that every shot has every bit of information included in the shot. So again, like, what's the background? Where did the monkey go? Where's Pascal? <laughs> and so what would happen is when we play Last Note, is it became a game show. So everybody's yelling out, what's the background? Where's Pascal? Like everybody's like <laughs> trying to yell out like a potential Last Note because we wanted to have, um, you wanted to get the prize. And the prizes were typically a water gun or a sticky, um, like a thing that you would throw. And they were all like these really cheap toys that she would buy, but everybody wanted the last note mm-hmm. prize. And they were usually like these crazy, toxic, like terrible toys that <laughs> that um, that we all, like sometimes it was a puzzle, sometimes it was like a funny ring. Um, somehow Ben always got the BB-8 Star Wars toy. Like, I don't know if you guys know, but he's a big BB-8 collector. And somehow he would reach into the box of toys and pull out a wrap thing and unwrap it. And it would be a BB-8 thing. And we'd be like, how did he know it was a BB-8 thing? Um, so that was really fun. So that, uh, uh, I hope that was a, so long of a story to be, hopefully that was interesting. Oh no, it absolutely was. (laughs) Because I know some it's of the all about detail. Like, so it's all about making some sure. Some of the meetings some of the meetings could be like four hours long if they were like crazy notes. But um we just we made them made sure that they were a lot of fun. So production can be mo- monotonous or it can be a, a, a such a fun time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's hard to keep yeah, when you're that's why with storyboarding it's it's one of those things where it, you know, everything kind of leans on storyboarding because going forward, yes. I mean, when you're sending it off to another studio, that's what they're going off of. It's not like you're sitting with them every step of the way. No. You have to yeah. depend on them to make sure that everything that you put down is getting put into animation. And if you leave something out, they're going to leave it out. So, And let me just take this opportunity to say that we had by far the greatest storyboard and revision team in animation. Like our... What I going into the show, one of the things that I was the most passionate about, of course, coming from the feature was the performance, right? So the performance behind, you know, Rapunzel and 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 the main characters in in the feature, the performances through, you know, obviously through um, Glenn Keane's amazing performance direction was so uh, beyond any other 
film that they had up until that point. So I knew that a certain amount of what was going to make this this show special was um, the great performances. And so I really wanted to give our board team the chance to really own these characters and really bring their performances to life on the board side. And then once we handed that over to Mercury, they would then lift it to another level on their side. But that being said, I had a very, very, very large demand on our board team to really um, go above and beyond in the performance uh, of, of our shows. And they absolutely did it. And I owe our board team so much and our revisionist team so much. They worked so hard. They were so diligent. You know, they may have forgotten a, a Pascal every now and again, but what they gave us in terms of pathos and heart and emotion through the boards, you just you just don't see that in television. Oh, no. I mean, we really had a feature film level board team on Tangled the Series. And I think a huge reason why um, the fans responded to the show so much of it is writing. We had an amazing writing team as well, led by Jace Rickey, who was our story editor on the show. But beyond that, taking that writing and and pulling the performances out through the boards was just, there's been nothing like it. I owe them so much. Yeah, we'll give them a round of applause for them right now. Because, I mean, yeah, Yay. they deserve all of that. Because, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it truly, it truly shines the show truly shines because of all of that that they do it's it's you know how you can tell listen you know how you, you know how you can tell that the, the if you don't know any better if you know how, when board artists are great and are proud of their work is that they're posting them online in other words mm-hmm. like you're not going to find a ton of storyboard examples from board teams on a lot of other shows mm-hmm. there might be like art of like backgrounds and maybe some character designs but you don't see a ton of storyboard examples and our team has been so proud of putting their boards up on on online on twitter and on instagram mm-hmm. and on tumblr that's when you know that they're that they're proud of their work and it's worthy to be proud of and I, I love that they're doing that and they should be proud because they did stuff on this show that nobody uh, nobody has done in, in their shows in terms of emotion, in terms of action, in terms of comedy, in terms of the musical sequences. The musical sequences were all spectacular just across the board, just across the board. Yeah. And actually, that does kind of segue into an, another question I had. Uh, favorite song sure. from the series? <laughs> Um, that's a tough one. Of course, you know, looking back on it, nothing left to lose was, was such a, you know, it it came out so great, but, um, you know, variance is such a great, you know, it's, it's, it's a hard one to answer, but I think we threw the javelin story wise at waiting in the wings so far ahead of the game Mm -hmm. that by the time it landed, you know, like I knew I wanted to do that, that song so far in advance and there was such a lot of pressure on me from myself on that song 
that by the time we landed it and and again like Mercury did the spectacular animation and our team had done the boards and and Alan's colors in it like it just is such like it's Broadway worthy and um feature worthy mm-hmm. I remember seeing it the first time we saw the sequence we were in Canada and um they played for us the first takes of the animation and I teared up I was like this is exactly what I wanted this thing to be. Not just this song, but this series. Because that was really, you know, outside of um, uh, Jeremy's song, um, you know, in season one, like this was this was the moment when I was like, this is what this series is about. It's about this this longing. It's about this kind of really deep-seated um, uh, emotion from this character and and even when Shane Prigmore was doing the initial designs for the characters I was telling Shane early on like Shane you got to design the characters so that they can pull off this moment you know waiting in the wings like any other design that you come up with if it can't pull off this level of emotion we got to reconsider because some of his designs mm-hmm. early on were a little bit too simplistic some of them were too realistic. You know, it was this balance between um, something that could be executed weekly, but also be able to pull off this level of emotion. Mm-hmm. And when we saw, when I saw Waiting in the Wings, I was like, we really, and again, like we're, you know, two years into it, but I was like, we really did it. And I really felt for Cassandra. And that's when I really knew that the, all of the pieces had come together and I'm so proud of that, that song. And, and then beyond that, the reprise in, in season three with, with young Cassandra being able to, to kind of pull that off uh, again, like the two of those together, I think I'm the most proud of, of that whole little, little setup and payoff. Oh yeah. Maybe Cassandra's so cute. <laughs> she was so cute. And again, like recording it was, I don't know if you guys have seen the, the Instagram on my Instagram, I have the little video of of the of the little actress that pulled it off, mm-hmm. and it's just so heartbreaking to watch her do it. And she understood kind of what was happening in the in the story, and it just was so it was so emotional. Yeah, actually, uh, KP, do we have any like any quick fan questions we can slide in since we're on the topic of these kinds of questions that <laughs> maybe he can answer. I had, I had my own quick fan question. Please. That I, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So I was wondering who, um, Cass's dad was cause like his, her biological dad. Boy, you really know how to get to the good <laughs> question. <laughs> <coughs> okay. I'm just, so like timeline wise, like, yeah. and then people like were like, how does the flower work? If you know, yeah. Gotho can only be yeah, young yeah, for yeah. like a day. Okay. No, oh, I get up. it. No, I get it. I get what you're saying. Now, here's my answer, and this is kind of an answer that a lot of people have been waiting for. And and when I when I first pitched this story, um, this is going to, you know me by now. Now we're an hour into this this interview <laughs> and you're going to know this is going to be a long, a long winded, a long winded answer. It's it's OK. <laughs> so going into the series, I knew, you know, myth, mythology wise what the mythology was and I knew that everything I built into the mythology really only had one purpose 
And the purpose was to push Rapunzel into the place where she could be a ruler and a great daughter, you know, an, an honoring daughter and a, and a, and a fiancé slash wife. Like, all of the things that we were doing in the show was pushing her towards that end, right? So everything I put into play was really Rapunzel-centric, okay? So even when I put together Cassandra, the Gothel connection, the Black Rocks, the the Moonstone and and the Sundrop and all of these all of these pieces of the mythology really only led to to pushing Rapunzel. Even the 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 the, the variant stuff, everything was put into play <clears throat> to 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 really push Rapunzel. Okay, so as I'm pitching this story to all of these people, <clears throat> my pitch when it came to the end of the end of the the last beat and you know, Cassandra releases the stone and, and Rapunzel becomes one with this thing and sends it back out in, in, into, the, into the heavens. And Cassandra gets on a horse. And I would always say that Cassandra runs off into spin-off-atopia, right? <laughs> I always just kind of like landed this idea that like there's another part of this show, which is kind of, for me, a Cassandra spin-off, right? I would love to... I would have loved to have done that. And and all that to say that it didn't matter to me who her father was because I'm only telling Rapunzel's story. Now, if I were to then do a Cassandra story where Cassandra's story becomes the center piece of where I need to take her, then the challenge of who is her father, where does she go? What is her life like? Once she becomes the center of all of these questions, then I can answer them with an entire other story, right? <laughs> right. So I may know in my dumb brain like who I think her father is, but none of that makes a lick of difference unless I have a story that I want to tell. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. Yeah. So I would I would I would shy away from thinking of listen, people can write all the fan theories <laughs> and fan fiction they want. And I encourage that every single time I can. Writing is healthy. Writing is fun. It's a huge part of taking a uh, taking an active part in being a fan. So I say go crazy and come up with all your fun ideas. I know I have my own fun ideas. But until I have a specific idea of where Cassandra needs to end, it doesn't make any sense for me to um, to go down that road unless I have the whole thing planned out, and which I did for Rapunzel, and that's why it all that's why it made sense um, f- for me to answer the amount of questions that I did in the show. And I always say, whatever happened on screen happened on screen. Mm-hmm. And if it didn't happen on screen. You can make up your, you're absolutely free to write your own fan theories. Um, but until that becomes the center priority for me, I'm going to plead the fifth on it. <laughs> That's fair. So sorry, sorry to be a, 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 a letdown uh, for information, but that's, uh, that's my answer. <laughs> I'm, I'm sticking with it. Fair enough 
Like, oh man, <laughs> Lauren, do you have any questions? But I, but I guarantee you, your answer for yourself is not wrong. <laughs> yeah, I was, no, that's fair. I was gonna say uh, that I did see that someone asked about uh, Varian's blue streak and the origin of yeah, that. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, guys, <laughs> but blue streak is nothing. I mean, it just was a thing where. You know, we were, this is such a bad story. It's such a terrible story. And people will say that we were lazy, but at the end of the day, it was just something that Ben had put in as just an interest for the character, just like a color interest. We were looking at the character in terms of like, um, you know, these large shapes and Ben felt like breaking it up with this fun little piece of blue, um, I'll be 100% honest and tell you that even when I looked at it, it read to me as kind of like a highlight, like, you know, um, like a piece of light hitting the hair. Mm -hmm. But that's how I read it when we were doing the color approvals. But subsequently, Ben was just like, oh, maybe something happened in the lab and it turned it blue. It never had a mythology reason. And, you know, it tore us apart when the fans were creating this like theory behind all this stuff because first of all, it was super fun to read all this fan theory. Um, But the fact of the matter is that it just, you know, it just became a design thing that we both really loved and, and wanted to keep, but we had no frame of reference that anybody would care as much as they ultimately did about it. Because again, like we're designing him in a, in an office at like six o'clock at night in, you know, a year before the episode even airs, we have no idea how huge of a impact variant is going to be on the, the mythology on the story. You know, Varian was not part of my original um, pitch. He came very much later in the, in the, in the story um, development phase. Um, the fact that he was so important and, and such an appealing character speaks to our writers and speaks to Jeremy and, you know, the presence that he brought to the character. Um, but this idea that, you know, the moon thing is baked in him. Listen, I don't know if we do a spinoff, maybe, maybe there is a reason for it, but I will tell you hundred percent, honestly, that when we, when Ben drew it and I approved it, it just was, it just looked cool. <laughs> like, is that, I hate yeah, to say I'm, it, like, it just looked fun. Everyone just loves the edgy boy, so, you know. <laughs> and and as well, and listen, I do too. I'm right with him, and I love the edgy boy. I love, I love emo boy who's, who's just wants to make his dad proud. Like, you know, at the end of the day, that's who I am too. Like, I'm just a, 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 a you know, a kid that wants to make sure that his parents, you know, know that I'm, that I have different interests than them. Like a lot of that was so much of what made Varian so appealing was the reality of that. And and the honest part of that is that a lot of us struggle with, you know, the other, the other thing about Varian that is so amazing is that at the end of the day, he was right. You know, there was something to this mythology and he, he was, you know, as, as the villain, in season one, the problem with that whole thing is that he wasn't wrong. Exactly. <laughs> he went about it in a really dark, terrible way, but he was right. There was like, they shouldn't have ignored these rocks in the same way 
that dad should not have ignored Rapunzel. Do you see how those things kind of mm-hmm. um, line up? Like mm-hmm. the, everybody was ignoring the growth of these rocks, right? Mm-hmm. The same way that King Frederick was ignoring his growing daughter. Yeah. That's what? the correlation between the two. That's why we came up with Varian is because we needed to show what it looks like when people ignore uh, a power that they don't know anything about. And and again, poor Frederick, who's me, you know, <laughs> I'm just the dad who didn't see my daughters as being the capable, strong, young women that they are. I struggled with that because I was living in a household where they were getting older and thinking that they were still young, you know, young, young ladies, but they were growing up into these capable, amazing young women. And I wanted to give Frederick that same struggle. And ultimately it made more sense because nobody wants to see a movie. No one wants to see a show about a, you know, frustrated dad. (laughs) It made more sense to give that struggle to Varian in the kingdom. And ultimately that's kind of what became the appeal of him. No, and it was the perfect path to go on, especially to to weave those parallels together. Yep. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) It just was so frustrating to see so so many people like being distracted by the Varian aspect as appealing and as much as I loved him, um, but the real the real struggle in the show was was poor Rapunzel really really kind of struggling to find her way in the world Mm -hmm. so yeah i mean i think at that time too people just weren't expecting varian like a a character because usually how you know especially animated series go you know you know with like aladdin and you know all that stuff there's always just a pre-established villain that's there to serve the purpose of the plot and they go away no one kind of expects like the friend to kind of have this moment of betrayal and then become the villain you know nobody expects that Except me, <laughs> no, 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 uh, but but I think what made that really, what made that um, so, uh, what made that so surprising was the same thing that I think a lot of people kind of struggle with is the idea that that does happen in real life. Sometimes your friends do, ch- you know, turn on you, and you you're left with these questions. Of course, like the Cassandra thing, like her her best friend turning on her but i mean how many times does that actually happen and and how many times does it happen when your best friend is listening to some jerk who's feeding them lies or feeding them things that they just want to hear like i i I was the most taken with how much people hated um the enchanted girl like zontiri Mm -hmm. the the young girl version of her how how much anger we got towards that character and what i came to really understand is that like we all deal with people in our lives that kind of feed us the things that we want to hear. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's ourself. Sometimes, you know, we did kind of straddle that idea of is this enchanted girl real or is it somebody inside of Cassandra's head? Because a lot of times the big misinformation that we're getting comes from us. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and when I saw the audience on Twitter or tum- on Tumblr really growing in frustration about her, the conversation to me started being like, like I felt like the more upset people were with her, the more likely it was that they had somebody in their life 
that they were listening to. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So uh, I just felt like it was really hitting in, in a very real way um, to, to the people that were probably really struggling with that. Yeah, it's it's the echo chamber effect where you, you, you the thing is you can't grow if you keep hearing the things you want to hear because then you're not going to yeah. change. There's no point. Exactly. But then if you're getting all of yeah. these, if you're if it's hitting a if it's hitting a certain chord with you, then that should be a sign. You should probably look into that and do something about that and change. That's the point. And and here's the thing that's going to here's the thing that's going to bake your noodle about this whole thing. If you think about it from and again, this might be a little bit too deep, so please feel free to delete or fast Oh, oh go go ahead. We're we're if, we're entertained. <laughs> if you think about it from Zantiri's point of view and think about maybe the fact that, you know, once they all went into the house of yesterday's tomorrow and and Zantiri is maybe getting into each of their heads, right? Mm-hmm. Who of them is the least threat. In other words, Zantiri knew that she couldn't go through Eugene Mm-mm. because Eugene had a very pure love for Rapunzel, right? Mm-hmm. So that was the thing that we knew. Like if we had to put a, a plot together where Eugene turned on Rapunzel, we couldn't do that because everybody knew that they got married. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like there's nothing at stake. So the only way that it made sense plot wise for us to have something that nobody knew was the fact that Cass wasn't at the wedding. So the fact that Cass wasn't at the wedding gave us an opportunity to take the relationship in a direction that was mysterious. Mm-hmm. If we were to pull any other and say you know nobody necessarily cared if Lance turned on her it really came down to again like it came down to it came down to whether it was going to be Eugene or Cassandra that was going to turn on her the no-brainer was that Eugene would never turn on her and and again like uh, Zantiri knew that Mm -hmm. and um, who was the person that she could get to with not a lie with an actual truth and the truth of the matter was she was the daughter of Gothel and she always struggled with waiting in the wings. And um, because Zontiri knew that truth, she used that to her advantage. Mm-hmm. And that's that was the kind of the clutch for it. And, I, and we knew that there was going to be a lot of struggle. You know, I still see that people struggle with the fact that Cassandra, you know, um, turned really, you know, late in the game. Um, back to Rapunzel, but we knew that if Cassandra turned back to the good side too early, the story's over. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. as soon as Cassandra goes back to Rapunzel, the story's over. No, what are, what else are we fighting for? Really, the only thing that we're fighting for in this series is for these two best friends to 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 to, to make up, and um, we kind of have to. We had to keep that on the hook as for as long as possible, and I thought. In terms of the boards and the performance, you know, Wendy Sullivan's boards at the end of season three in 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 the in the tower, mm-hmm. the apology sequences were just so beautiful and so full of heart. And Eden and Mandy's performances just they just were some of the best that we'd ever gotten on the series and some of the best that I've seen on television. Were you in the booth when they were recording that out of Absolutely. Curiosity? 
Absolutely. Now, the crazy thing about it is that we did them separately. Um, but I have an amazing um, voice director named uh, Mary Elizabeth McGlynn, who is an amazing director uh, for voice. So I sit next to her. And how we do it is there's a booth. We have an actor in the booth. Uh, and it's it's Mary Elizabeth and myself. I will tell Mary Elizabeth what I want from a performance and from an actor's standpoint, she gives direction in a way that I could never, or at least don't have any context to give. And she pulls out of these, these, these performers, some of the most touching and beautiful, uh, performances that I've ever heard. And what happens is she reads the other side. Mm. So whether she's reading Eugene or she's reading, you know, Mandy or Zach or whoever. So in those sequences, she's reading the opposite side to, I think we did, I think we did Eden first and then we did Mandy. So we have an amazing um, team in the technician booth as well that what they can do is once we get one side of it, so once Mary Elizabeth reads to Eden and gets all of Eden's lines, then we can separate those all out into different files. So when Mandy comes in, Mandy can read through it and we can play the other files. So she's essentially playing against Cassandra. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. So it's happening separately, but but in a very kind of intimate way. It's just, you know, just in terms of people's schedules, like Eden is in New York, Mandy's out here. Sometimes, you know, Zach is in wherever he's at shooting Shazam or whatever. So it's hard to get anybody ever in the booth together. Um, so it just became a, a matter of of really working the magic. And, and Mary Elizabeth was so great at doing that. Yeah, I know that feel of trying to um, coordinate things, and you know it. It can be hard. It can be hard when you, the actors aren't in the same physical space. But there's really yeah. good ways to get around it. Yeah, yeah, almost impossible, especially with our amazing cast. Um, people are always working on different things, and it was hard to to ever get anybody uh, together in the in the booth. The only time we ever really did it, it was with um, Pete and Stan. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> a lot of times. When we had Pete and Stan together, we put them in the booth together to read off of each other. Oh, God, I love Pete and Stan. They're the best. <laughs> um, I think I'm good, Lauren. Do you have any question, other questions? Um, I feel like everything got covered. <laughs> I'm, like, going through all my questions. <laughs> I think everything got covered, even when I didn't have to ask about it. <laughs> so, I, so I'll just, let me just, let me just uh, answer my own question here sure. of, my question to myself would be, how much do I love you guys and the fans? Um, going into this into this show, a big part of what I wanted to make sure that we held very high was the opinion from um, the fans of the film. Uh, you know, it was certainly a large task um, to go into this thing knowing that the expectations were so high from a fan base that is so dedicated to the mythology and to these characters and to these, to the, to this entire franchise. Um, but coming out the other side of it and seeing how much we were embraced, how much people love these characters as much as we do. Mm. I couldn't be 
more proud of the show and just how amazing the fans have been with the fan art, with the cosplay, with the covers of the songs, with the reaction videos. I mean, I'm seriously going to get choked up thinking about it right now, but just the responses from the fans have just been so amazing. And just the fact that you guys have a podcast about mm-hmm. it, that you want to talk about it about is, is so, is so great. And um, I hope you get a chance to talk to more artists that work on the show and, and writers or whoever and get their viewpoints of it. Um, everybody just put so much of their heart into it. And to know that the fans responded in such a big way is, is just, it's just the best. So thank you to everybody who has sent emails and tweets and Tumblr posts. And again, the artwork has just been so, so great. And I will do my best to like and share and comment on, uh, on as much as I can, because if without you guys, we would be nothing. Yeah. And we can't thank you enough for being on the show with us. It, it, I was so excited when when your name got announced for this. <laughs> <laughs> well, anything I can do to say thank you to our fans, you know, I'm I'm sad that it's over, but I'm glad that everybody um, enjoyed our last few episodes, and um, I can't wait for you guys to see what what uh, what I have planned <laughs> next. Mm. Hint, hint, wink, wink. Um. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be special. I have, I have one more question, but it will kind of tie into what you already sure. talked about a little bit. So um, part yeah, of the yeah. podcast um, is kind of reintroducing um, creators to fans of properties, like maybe from back in the day, and they don't really know, like, the internet is forever, and there's still people that care about their properties that, like, 20 years ago or what have you. And yeah, yeah. They, they yeah. don't know that the internet exists sometimes, so since you're very active on social media, how has that impacted, you know, you on, on a, well, on any level, how has that improved the experience as far as just being a creator and making the show? I can't imagine a universe where as a, as a kid, me being able to, 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 to tell the, the creator of the A team, how much I love this show, (laughs) you know, like, like just being able to, to hear from the fans on such a one-to-one basis is such a blessing and it's such a, a, a rare thing. I mean, it's not rare now. I mean, you know, anybody really has access to the people that they love that make the shows that, that, that they love so much, but um, being able to see the impact on, on people is so great. And I would highly encourage, you know, just complimenting the things that you love online and, uh, the the creators they do work hard and they do you know all the shows that you guys respond to and love there are a huge amount of crew members behind those things that give so much and their families that that the families of the people that work on these shows that maybe don't see them for weekends because they're working hard on on backgrounds or or revisions that need to be in by Monday so that we can ship on on whatever like there's they give so much to these projects and, and just going on Twitter and saying, Hey, I love your guys' show. It really does mean a lot. And I would encourage people 
to keep doing that because I know personally it means a lot to me. Yeah, I, I applaud you for just being so vocal and like, for instance, this interview was pretty easy to 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 get a hold of you and you know it's always intimidating especially with dealing with eps and like the higher level production i'm just like oh god sure they want to be on my stupid podcast or our stupid podcast so (laughs) it's not (laughs) stupid it is definitely special and um it is a it is a new way of expressing um passion for these great characters and for these amazing stories and um I, i i will do anything i can to to promote that kind of interaction because uh, I think it's important that people know that there is a great audience that appreciate this hard work that we put into these shows. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just really appreciate this conversation. This was, this was great. Me and Lauren are like animation fangirls. So we're like having a good time <laughs> right now. <laughs> Yay. Yeah, and then I, Yay. And then I was, uh, I went to school for animation. I went to LMU for animation and uh, minored in studio arts. And for ever since I could, first learn how to draw all I wanted to do was be in, in animation so it's just like it's been my life <laughs> wow well keep at it you know I don't know if you're writing but you know always write uh things that you know write about the world around you draw about the world around you I always encourage people to if if you're if you're going to be out life drawing like draw the world around you draw things that 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 speak to you don't just draw things that that you see on the internet but go outside and experience life and and put those things uh into your work because that's going to make things it's going to make your work that much more lush Mm -hmm. and it's going to be better for you as an artist if you can reflect your life into your work oh yeah it's like i love i love any chance i have or anything that inspires me i'm it's like I always try to keep a sketchbook or even my iPad with me because <laughs> procreate is, procreate is a saint, a saint and a savior. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it is. It, it, it makes that, um, it makes that connection so much easier to, to make and you can share stuff really quickly. I would encourage you to, to try your hand at like getting some paper and making sure you keep an, uh, a physical sketchbook close as well, because there's, something about paper that is mm-hmm. that is unmatched and I think we're losing a little bit of these days but um but I encourage you to keep drawing and and uh, you're going to you're going to be great. <laughs> Thank you. I think I have like 20 sketchbooks if not more in my closet so <laughs> Great. Good. We're gonna, Good. Fill them up. We're going to have a more. party, we're going to have a big bonfire, you know, the whole the whole thing, right? <laughs> oh. Well, thank you guys so much for having me on your podcast. Um the best i love i love the fans that 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 reach out and and are risky enough to 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 ask people to be on so keep doing that and and uh uh i encourage you and i can't i can't wait to work with you guys someday. oh yeah absolutely oh, yeah, like, thank you for us. joining us uh yeah thank you so much of course. this was a great conversation all right well that's me and i'm signing off and have a great night thanks you thank you guys and good night everybody see you next wednesday on animation communication woo here's my here's my amazing outro (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much for listening to animation communication on youtube spotify or your favorite podcast provider we are really hoping this show makes a difference in how people view animation and media as well as giving and providing advice for people all over the world who like or want to join the animation or media industry. 
If you liked what you heard, please remember to subscribe and rate those five stars, as well as tell your friends. Don't forget to subscribe to our main YouTube channel, I Love Kim Possible A Lot, and turn those notifications on. My name is Scribbler, and you have been listening to Animation Communication.